Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's not just good for programming. It's also great for kids doing homework. It's great for reading, great for writing, anything that requires your concentration. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments at mtcb.pwop.com. That's mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1173, with guest Mark Fussell. Recorded Friday, July 10th, 2015. Hey, 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 it's .NET Rocks, Carl Franklin here. Richard Campbell here. And, uh... On opposite coasts of the U.S., of the states, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, well, North America, anyway. Close enough. Close enough. We're sort of like the same country, yeah. kind of. We all get along pretty well, don't we? Almost. Although we're watching watching the South now. We got some uh, consternation in the southern United States. Yes. But uh, that's all we'll say about that, because I really don't care to go into it. This is a <laughs> .NET show. A wise choice, sir. Yeah. Uh, how you been, I'm having a great time, you know, so much going on all at the same time. It's a really weird summer. You know, normally stuff goes quiet in the summertime, but Microsoft's been making all these announcements around Windows 10 and Studio 2015. Like it's not, it's the summer of continuous marketing, I think. We forgot about the, the, we didn't even talk about all the layoffs and the phone. I guess the phone is kind of done. I don't know where it is. It's been a steady conversation in Twitter for quite some time now. Yeah. Just what what does this really mean? I'm just gonna I'm just paying attention. Yeah. That's all I'm doing. That's all we're doing. Uh speaking of phones, I got something for you for better know a framework. Awesome. So roll the music. All right, buddy, what do you got? I don't usually do this, but uh I'm gonna talk about a phone. I'm talking gonna talk about the LG G four. And not, you know, not an Android user anymore, but I was. So uh, go to to tinyurl.com slash LG4 phone. Can't believe I got that one. And uh, I just want to talk about this a bit. Um, This review is sort of seems like, and this is a review of it. It sort of seems like they're almost reluctant to say they like it. You know, like it, it's like, uh, you know, there's nothing spectacular here, but it makes all the marks and they say what they, it does what they claim it does. And, you know, however, let's just look at some specs. It's a 1.8 gigahertz Snapdragon 808 processor and three gigs of RAM, first of all. It's got a 16 megapixel camera and this is the cool thing. It goes, the f-stop goes down to 1.8. Wow. That's really great. Yeah. So really good in low light. Uh, it has a laser-assisted autofocus, and it optionally captures truly raw photos. So that's only a handful of phones do that. The battery's removable, and it's about 3,000 milliamp hours, so about eight hours of video on a single charge, which will get you, you know, most, most flights. And uh, that was based on their tests that they did. They gave it a 9.0. So while on one side of their mouth they're saying, yeah, it's okay. You know, they nothing spectacular here. But on the other hand, yeah, it's pretty good. They gave them the best score they can give. 
Yeah. It's like, right. why aren't you being ebullient? Well, because it's pretty clear they're, they're Mac fans, you know, they're iPhone fans. Oh, interesting. But, you know, whatever. I like my iPhone, but, you know, those are pretty impressive specs. And I like to keep track of what's going on in, in other phone land. Yeah. So tinyurl.com slash LG4 phone or just bingle LG G4 and uh, have at it. And I guess the uh, retail price is five ninety nine. Although odds are your carrier will offer you a deal. Or something. I'm sure they will. They'd That's be only funny. happy to rope you into a couple of years of contract. So who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1143, the one we did with Mark Brown while we were in Scottsdale, if you recall. We talked about building apps on Azure and certainly had a conversation around uh, this new app models, all that good stuff. And Dave Aykroyd had this great comment. He says, hey, great show. Just wanted to pick up on your closing comment that developers need awareness of what's happening in the IT Pro stack. And as an IT Pro and a listener of Run As Radio for many years, I've recently started listening to .NET Rocks. How's that for a role well, reversal? Hey, huh? yeah, really. And finding many of the shows valuable when I'm heading out as a pro. Today, I was trying to work out a solution to a problem and ended up finding a Git project to help me along. If I'd kept in my comfort zone, I'd have been many pages through bingle results and none the wiser and looking to revert back to being a click next admin. <laughs> yes, I believe the devs should have an awareness for the IT pro side, but more importantly, and less likely to happen, IT pros need to be more comfortable with coding and not just what we get in the box with PowerShell. Given the number of IT pros scared of putting down the mouse and diving into PowerShell, they won't even drop to a command line to do the exact same task in PowerShell. I don't see a swarm of admins learning some basic C-sharp to help themselves out of a corner every now and then. I realize I've rambled a bit, but I hope my point has shown through on this. Yes, Dave, it has. You know my friend Mark Ficine, don't you? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And he's an IT pro through and through. You know what you always about it? Yep. He's taken night C-sharp classes. Wow. Because it's just being incredibly useful to be thinking right. about how to write code around these sorts of things. And yeah. I think when we talk about Azure, you just can't get away from the fact that somebody really competent in the cloud has to have both sets of skills to at least some degree. Yeah, they they say DevOps, but it's turning into just regular old computing. Yeah. It's all coming together. Smart people. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So, Dave, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of the social media sites we use. We post all our shows on Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. So I'd like to introduce our guest now. Mark Fussell is a principal program manager in Azure and has been working on Azure Service Fabric since the project's inception many years ago. Mark focuses on application platforms, developer technologies, and is passionate about enabling teams to build large-scale, resilient cloud services. Welcome, Mark. Great, great. Thanks to be here. All right. So let's. Um, we've, we sort of talked about the um, Service Fabric a bit, but one thing that we didn't really talk about too much is the name service fabric because it could be confused with uh, that term was used earlier in Azure's marketing uh, to describe something totally different. Well, that's yeah, totally so but. yeah, let me kind of qualify the name a little bit on what service fabric is. Um, you know, we, we've, uh, we've talked about a fabric for a while inside Azure um, and really the fabric that we've talked about before has been a sort of a more of an internal component that's used to sort of provision serve up VMs. We talked about this sort of fabric controller that does that. Right. Uh, hasn't been something that our users started to think about. It was really the way that we gave you a VM. 
Um, service Fabric is, is an offering where we actually allow you to build on top of those VMs and build services that uh, build an application platform across those. And we talked with uh, Scott Hunter about this a little while ago. Just to uh, bring us up to date in terms of what's, what's up with uh, Service Fabric. Well, Service Fabric, well, Scott talked to you about app services, right. um, and I'm talking to you about uh, Service Fabric, and they're, they're closely related, uh, but different. So to kind of let me explain sort of the, some of the, the relationship and the differences between them. Very good. Uh, you know, Scott, Scott talked to you about uh, app, uh, Azure App Service, and he talked to you about how you know, that's the thing that we have that's our kind of high productivity solution for developers who want to build sort of enterprise-grade yeah. web and mobile app experiences. Um, it's a great platform for you to build your know, websites, your web applications, mobile applications, your enterprise apps that you want to do inside there. And you know, through the, the tools that they have, the programming frameworks, it allows you to build these app applications really rapidly and have lots of connectivity options as well to all sorts of other different platforms. Um, the way to think about Service Fabric, and it was born as a need for us internally inside Azure and across the company to build these high-scale services, it's as a layer that just sits below um, app services. And it's an application platform that allows you to build these high-scale performance resilient services. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a little bit of a history behind it all, um, it actually was a project. So when we started building SQL Azure databases, we started building that project eight years ago. So we're taking SQL Server and hosting it as a relational database in the cloud. Right. We're going, wow, you know, we can't just take SQL Server and throw it up there. You know, we've got to have a, a hosted offering. And what does it mean to do all of that? So as we took SQL Server and we hosted it there, we realized that we had to have a way for doing deployment, upgrade, management of all of these you know, tens of thousands of databases. Um, so SQL Azure was a great learning experience of what does it mean to build one of these high-scale services uh, where you want resilience and failover and scale and ease of management. And we had a lot of learnings we went through in that exercise. Um, a lot of the learnings, what does it mean for, you know, to run a thousand databases on one machine? Um, well, how do I know if a machine fails? Where do those thousand databases go? You know, what, what do I do? You know, do I put them on another machine or do I spread them all around? Now, um, I've read the marketing material. You have three copies of every one of them at different locations anyway. Hmm. Correct. Yeah. So one of the key aspects of have when you build a service is you want resilience built into it. You don't want right. to have like, if this thing failed, I mean, think about it today. Think of it just as this is a problem. If you walk up to Azure today and you take a bunch of VMs yep. and you say, well, I'm just going to use VMs and I'm going to put my application on it and say one of those VMs dies. You know, how Your do I even know too. the VM died and what do I do? <laughs> right. Uh, and and so part of it is like knowing that something failed. And then another thing is dealing with that failure and what right. you do with um. And so, you know, what happens inside SQL Azure is we built this platform where we replicated the databases across other machines. Yep. So, you know, you had a copy here, you had a copy in another machine and a copy in another machine. So when it dies, it's like, oh, never mind. It doesn't matter. You know, I just seamlessly fail over to another copy on another machine over here. So really what you're saying, and still trying to grok the big picture here, is that the, uh, the service fabric is what Azure is built on. Well, Service Fabric, so let's go through the layers inside Azure, just kind of makes it sure clear. Service Fabric has this ability, uh, Azure has this ability for provisioning a set of VMs for you. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where this, you know, we talked about this previous, this Fabric controller as an internal component came along. On top of that, of course, you know, we shipped, uh, we shipped various different PaaS-like technologies. We ship Azure databases, uh, app services. We ship, um, you know, document DB, event hubs, 
Uh, all of these things are PaaS services that are used for building an application together. Yeah. And of course, another one we, we ship today is cloud services. Right. So what happened in you know, as we were building you know these other services for ourselves, we realized we needed to have a, a, a richer platform in order to be able to do run those services and build them themselves and, and help stitch together these other services. Okay. So that's what Service Fabric was born with the ability for you to have um, applications that you can build at scale and and decompose them down into various pieces. So, yeah, maybe maybe work you work you through an example here, yeah, and great. I'll take uh, I'll take uh, I'll take Azure DB as an example, and I'll take uh, maybe Event Hubs as another. You know, when we built Azure DB, we realized that you had to have you had to break this big application service down into smaller pieces. You had to have like a database service, you had to have a, a monitoring service, you had to have a a backup and restore service, and all of these we wanted to have to be fairly agile in terms of how we deployed and upgrade them and communicated between them all. So we had to build, you know, before it was very traditional for many teams inside Microsoft to build a sort of a big, fairly monolithic three-tier architecture. And, you know, you'd have your database and you'd have three years to integrate all of these components together and you'd ship it on a CD or right. on a big box product and ship it all out. Um, but when we had to release a service, we had to make sure that we made different teams a bit more agile in terms of how they release different bits. So part of the experience of building SQL Azure was, well, the, the team that wanted to roll out the database service, that's part of the whole Azure service, Azure database service as a whole, was different from the team who wanted to do the backup and resource service. So we had to build what's now kind of referred to in the industry a little bit as this microservices architecture, where your big applications broken down into smaller ones, and you can deploy small independent pieces of all of this. So, you know, that was one that was a key element to how we had to drive how you architect an application for the cloud and build a service. Um, this decomposition of a larger service into smaller microservices. You know, going back to your big picture thing, you know, there's various different PaaS elements together, um, and Service Fabric, you know, helps as a platform to build these services. Um, in some ways, you can think of this as a a little bit of an evolution of the existing cloud services today yeah in terms of how you know we help you build services using that but it's a it's a richer platform a more capable platform in terms of what it's able to achieve okay so uh just adding more features and adding more features on top of the services that exist to help us scale up and fail over correctly and all of that stuff well, well, and maybe this will help with some of our listeners in terms of giving an analogy to cloud services today. So, um, uh, Azure shipped cloud services uh, a few years back. In fact, it was the first thing we shipped inside Azure to kind of here's how you build applications with that. Mm. Um, but there's a few limitations with it today. The one that really annoys people is if I was to want to change a piece of code and push out a change into cloud services, it takes 15 minutes to reboot a whole bunch of VMs, deploy my code, bring it all back up again. And we sort of tied this sort of application to a single VM. Yes, yeah? so yep. there's this long deployment time. Uh, the other complaint that we also hear quite a lot is, wow, you know, I've got this whole VM I'm running and I can only put one application on it. You know, I have one application, one cloud service tied to one of those VMs. And boy, you know, after a while, what happens is, say I just want to run 10 cloud services and I want to make them all resilient. I have to have you know two of each one to make them resilient. So I end up having twenty VMs. Mm. So one of the key aspects that Service Fabric does as a platform, that's sort of an, an evolution of what we do with cloud services today, is for one, 
it says, well, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to set up these pool of machines for you, which we call a cluster. Okay, so it's just a set of machines here. And now I can independently build my application over here in any framework I like. Um, Service Fabric provides some programming model frameworks out of the box, but you can build it in Node.js, a web application, PHP, take your favorite framework. And then it'll deploy that application onto this cluster of machines. Um, and the advantage of that is, uh, is that you're just pushing an application onto a set of machines that have been pre-provisioned with all the right runtimes on it all. Yeah. And the second thing is that you start to get high density. So I can run thousands of applications on a machine. So the advantage that you have over existing cloud services is that you get this high density, faster deployment times, and more efficient use of your machines. Yeah, yeah. that's one way to look at it. The The in-place upgrade pretty much guarantees zero downtime, right? Correct. Yeah. Well, um, what we also discovered when we were building things like SQL Azure was that, you know, one of the key things that we had to do is we had to do upgrades across you know, hundreds of machines. Um, and we had to do upgrades at a very uh, agile time frame. So we had to do each team. So the team that built like the little database component inside there, the team that built the database um, and the monitoring service, they all wanted to upgrade at different times. So mm. You know, you have this key element. In fact, we we discovered when running these large-scale services that, um, you know, what does it mean for, you know, different teams upgrade at different times? And so uh, a key aspect of, of the Service Fabric platform is it allows you to roll do rolling upgrades across these set of machines with no downtime and make sure you have all this availability of your service. At the same time, you know, Team A and Team B can roll out their changes to their different pieces of the overall service. Mm-hmm. So... You know, that was another uh, key element that we learned in terms of providing just sort of agility of pushing out new features, fixes to a different sort of platform. So what's what's happened inside um, Azure as a whole is that we built this service fabric platform first for our use, our own use. So, I mean, we have SQL Azure that runs on this. We have many of the core services inside Azure itself, like networking stack. And Cortana uh, too, right? Doesn't Cortana and- run on it? And Cortana does, yes, as well, the back end of Cortana. In fact, Cortana is a great example of why you need a, a sort of a platform that runs at this sort of scale to be able to deal with these sort of uh, events. Um, if you think about what Cortana is at the back end, they have uh, a set of machines, a cluster of machines that spans across three data centers. Uh, they have about 150 machines in total. Um, they have run this service which allows you to take all the subscriptions that you have from your from your phone. Yes, you might have a subscription that goes, or oh, tell me if there's a traffic uh, event 40 miles within my radius, or tell me if there's a flight delay that's going to happen uh, on these three sets of flights. Mm-hmm. So it takes all of those, and what's happening then is lots and lots of uh, data events are coming in from different feeds, traffic, finance, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you run all these rules, and all these rules on these subscriptions hit against those particular data feed events and send you notifications. Um, and so one of the key elements you have is that, you know, if any one of these machines dies, like it doesn't matter, we'll fail over to another machine where all your rules are still there to run. And it has very low latency characteristics. So evaluating all these rules has to be fast because, you know, you don't want the traffic alert to come, you know, 10 minutes later after you've just run into the traffic jam. You know, you want it to be faster now. So, Service Fabric provides this very low latency, high throughput type platform uh, for, for dealing with things like Internet of Things scenarios, IT scenarios, ingestion mm-hmm. of lots of data, things like this. And this was another thing we experienced.
This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify. Stackify fully integrates application performance management with error and log management in one platform. Capture performance issues as they happen without having to wait for them to reoccur. A cost-effective and lightweight agent provides you code-level insights. Try Stackify now for free and get your copy of the hilarious Developers Against Humanity card game once you activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks to get your free game. Is the service fabric really applicable to, um, I don't know, less need for scalability, you know, smaller uh, runs? that, or, or is it, do we really need to have some big traffic in order to get the most out of it? I mean, is it going to buy me anything if I've got, you know, maybe 50,000 users? Uh, yes. So, I mean, this is one of the, I mean, what we're seeing effectively as we look across, you know, the industry as a whole, you know, what's happening is that there's been a lot of lift and shift of my existing on-premise applications into the cloud where I sort of take this application and dump in a bunch of VMs and get it running and going. And right. that's a great first step. But what's happening now is that many companies are coming up to us and going, yeah, we realize now that that was a great first step, but it's still really hard to manage. Yeah. It's still really hard to upgrade. It's still really hard to deploy. In fact, the nightmare for most companies is effectively the upgrade management of this. Yeah. You know, although they've moved it to the cloud, they still have to talk about downtime for their service on a Sunday afternoon for three hours where they take it all down and do all these upgrades. Problems um, of success. Problems of success, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, and I've done updates where, I mean, one of the nice things about living in the cloud is you're not constrained by hardware. I don't have to repurpose hardware. I, I've been setting up a new set of VMs for the new version of the app, and then we've been flopping the DNS over. But even that takes time. And cleaning out transactions, like you're midstream of an e-commerce transaction under HTTPS, you don't want to change machines. Bad things happen when you do that. Mm. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, all of this was born of our, born of our own learning. So, I mean, let, let us take another example. Actually, you know, Skype itself. Yes. Or, or what was previously called Link or Skype for Business, as we call it now. Yeah. yeah. So that that was the many on- things that might be Skype. <laughs> the, uh, you know, at one point, so, so they came to us, uh, well, four, four years ago and they said, look, we've, we've, we built Skype and it runs on premise and we stick all our data inside a SQL Server database. And uh, and now we've been told we have to run this in Office 365. And we have to kind of go from maybe we have 100,000 users to maybe now we have to do 10 million. Right. And they were like, holy crap, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> so, I like it when a Microsoft person is scared of that, too. Yeah. That makes me happy, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we said, well, you know, you've got to think about scale and, you know, lots of users running at the same time. And, you know, just scaling up your database because they'd been like throwing money at their databases, you know, get bigger and bigger. And it's like, well, you know, you scale out your back end. Yeah. But, you know, you've also got to think about what's the upgrade story for a service that can never be down. Yeah. yeah and they went, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. We get it. You know, we can't take all the databases down on a Sunday and all this stuff. We can't. We have to have this service now that runs on instead of three machines, typically, or four machines. Now it runs on about 50 or 60 machines. Right. Mm-hmm. So they had to like rethink link. Yeah. It's like, Oh, right. Okay. So, you know, I have to have a, a service running now. Um, I have to have, you know, my middle, I have to partition all my users into, uh, different, you know, groups of users. So they did in partitions of 10,000, things like this. I had to make sure I have a platform that allows me to have, they actually did their conferencing service and a few other services they built on service fabric. 
And because Service Fabric runs on-premise, by the way, it'll run not just in Azure, it runs on Windows Server. Nice. In fact, in fact it's going to be built into the next version of Windows Server, Windows Server 2016. Um, you know, they were able to, uh, you know, re-engineer their app. And now, of course, they have this scalable architecture that helps them just add more machines and scale out and scale down. Um, so going back to your original question, yeah. is like, well, yeah, does it apply when you start small? Yes, you can start with three machines. So, so it it may apply, and it may take a lot of management off of our uh, off of our plate. What's the cost associated with it? You know, as opposed to managing it yourself on your VMs. Well, you know what we see now is a lot of this. I've you know, had a big conversation about. You know, we have a lot of push around what people call containerization and yep. managing their own services and Docker and this sort of stuff. And most of that is sort of a reflection of like VMs alone are just a, a complete pain. Yes. And I now have to do things more to help me not only get my identity on these VMs, but just manage my deployment of things. Yes. So mm-hmm. what, what effectively you were, we're noticing inside the industry is that, you know, people want the ability to build, you know, services that they can run, that they can do easy deployment for and upgrade. Um, and one way they've started doing this, in fact, this is exactly where the service fabric does it is that you put your, your set of services into a container and deploy that container. And then you run that. And if there's a failure, we move those services you run into another container running on another machine. Right. So you can effectively start small with three machines. And the whole premise is that, you know, scale is unpredictable. You know, you might suddenly be very wildly successful and you might need to go up to 50 machines, but you shouldn't have to re-engineer and re-architect the whole thing. You should just be able to add more machines and let the platform take care of the scale out the failover, the management, um, the discovery. So are you saying I so- really don't have to write any code into my apps to understand we're failing over or we've been scaled or anything like that? C- correct. To a large extent. So, I mean, what happens is what – so Service Fabric actually provides you with a couple of different programming models, although right. you can bring your own. And when you write your code – um, you don't have to think about failover and replication. You just sort of write your code and say, look, I've written a piece of code here for my service. I want Service Fabric to go off and deploy this. I want Service Fabric to replicate the data and make it highly available. If this machine fails, go and discover another machine and run it there for me. Let new requests come in there and attach to that. And mm-hmm. when, and if I, and my code has a version deployed with it. And if I change it from version 10 to version 11, just go off and find it. Download new bits, copy new bits from the machine, start it all up again, and you know deploy the new bits for me. All mm-hmm. that's done. You just basically have to write your code and say, "Let Service Fabric take care of it." But my yeah, my experience has been having done these kinds of things is I've also got to take that machine out of the low balance pool until its upgrades finished, and often I end up with a split pool because I have machines running the new version and machines running the old version, and you gradually take new traffic onto the new version while the old version is still wrapping things up, and you, you can't finish until all the work's done. Like, there's a non-trivial amount of code. How are you just going to automate all that for me? Well, um, this is exactly what Service Fabric effectively does. It says you define this thing called this application that consists mm-hmm. of a set of your code packages, and then you you... By because your application is naturally resilient because of the programming models that you used, right. you say to Service Fabric, "Look, here's my code. Go and run it all." Well, because your code, you know, effectively what we've done is we've democratized high availability. Yeah, we've taken this high availability technology that typically you put inside databases and is the realm of there, and we've put it directly inside your app. So now, you know, when you download your new bits, we right. know that your app is resilient, so we can 
take down this particular replica of it all, copy new bits there, bring it back up, check its health. Like you can describe this health policy. Hmm. If my app comes back up, it's been running for at least two minutes and it sent me this ping message, it's healthy. Go on and do the next app. So you can define all that yourself. And then we'll move on to the next one. But no time is your app's data lost. It's always resilient. Right. Yeah, it's just it's just figuring out who's doing what workload and when. And and another aspect of this is this elasticity, which is for me been one of these great holy grails of how do you actually automate elasticity? Right now, most of my customers using Azure, whether they're doing PaaS or IaaS, just over provision for peak because it doesn't cost much to have unused machines sitting around. Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of our biggest learnings from SQL Azure that we learned over the years was you know, running a service that's cost effective um, and, you know, effectively being able to scale down the number of machines we have as well as utilize the machines at their most efficiently. I mean, it's truth be told that when SQL Azure first came out as a service, you know, it wasn't the most cost effective for Microsoft, put it that way. Yeah, right. Um, That's true. (laughs) I've heard stories. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we heard stories. Yeah, that's, yeah. Good job. There are other products creating money. Yeah, <laughs> but now it's actually um, yeah. As we've we've tweaked over the years, the way we do the you know the way we do placement of all of these pieces of code, which we call services. You know, think of SQL Azure has some databases that are gigabytes in size and some that are teeny little few megabytes in size. Mm-hmm. But we can look at a machine. We can look at a particular service that you've written, just your piece of code, that is, and we can go, oh, here we can place, we know the memory usage of this machine overall. We know the memory usage of each one of your services. We can put 10 big ones here, three mediums and one small, or we can move, you know, some other workloads on or off all these machines. So it's like a packing problem across those set of machines. Fascinating. At at the application level, yes? Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. You got it, man. It's time to ask Cortana how to move all my VMs to Azure Service Fabric. Oh, oh, she says, if I catch you anywhere near my house, I'm going to drop your tables, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, backing off, backing yep, off. Yep. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a Component One Studio Enterprise to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. So let me tell you about Component One's .NET controls for professional developers. Whether you're building the most modern touch-enabled apps or maintaining and updating legacy applications, Component One's flagship product, Studio Enterprise, helps to deliver rich, responsive desktop and web apps on time and under budget. Nice. Who's our winner, dude? Today's winner is Nathan Silver. Ah, I presume not the statistician, but uh, congratulations, Nathan. Do not know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he listens to the show. Maybe. Who knows? We'll find out. And uh, Nathan just won the Component One Studio Enterprise. They're at componentone.com. That's O-N-E, by the way. And, uh, hey, if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com. Click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. Hey, we have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guests, Mark, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, sir, what would wow. you buy? Well, if it was a tiny bit more than that, I know what I really would like to buy. And that is, uh, have you seen the Megabot? 
<laughs> Actually, it's better than that. Have you seen the Megabot Mark II that they created, which is Mechazoid? Have you seen that thing that they created recently? The, it's the a, 3D printer? No, no, no. no, no. The, no. the big robot that's going to fight the Japanese Megabot. Oh, that <laughs> yeah. Megabot. I thought yes. you said Makerbot. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I did. I did see I that. I want to buy that Megabot. You want Mark. one of those? That's more than five <laughs> grand, dude. <laughs> Why not just get a Doberman or a Pitbull or something? I mean, that's a little When you lower. can have a four-ton million-dollar robot that shoots <laughs> giant paintballs? There's no debate. Oh, boy. You I know, want a good one shotgun so could take that thing out, too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it would never see it coming. Holy man. Yeah. But if I didn't have that, which is what I really, 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 really want, um, <laughs> I would, uh, I'm a big maker fan myself. And, uh, I've been looking at a lot of, uh, I, I build a few things with these, uh, quadcopters and these drones. Yep. You know? Yeah. And, uh, there's this guy in this movement at the moment where people are building drones and they're making replicas of, of Star Wars, uh, vehicles. So some guys built a Millennium Falcon, another guy built TIE fighters. Another guy's built uh, like speed uh, uh, speeder bike races and all this sort of stuff. So yeah. I'd love to have a Millennium Falcon quadcopter drone that I can fly around. Wow, that's great! So much fun. You know, there's a there's been a big uh, trend lately for our guests to say, "I want to buy as many Raspberry Pis as I can," and you know, give them to a school or something. And oh. there seems to be a lot of that going on. But quadcopters too. When you talk about inspiring kids to develop, well, yeah. you've done this, Carl. Yeah, I have. Yeah, that's a. I, I say I'm, I'm going to talk about programming. Then I pull out a quadcopter, and they go nuts. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love those things. So much fun. And then you know, then they tell me to write a program to make it bonk into Billy. You know, give give uh, Sally a haircut or whatever. <laughs> Kids. Awesome. So is there a programming model here for service traffic that I should know about as a developer? Yes, there is. In fact, uh, one of the things about um, service fabric is we've got two very easy to use out of the box programming models that help you build your applications. So, you know, I've been talking a lot about scale and reliability and all this sort of stuff. And right. the, the, the picture I'm trying to paint here is the fact that, you know, at some point, as you think about your services that you want to run inside Azure, you know, you've got various different options to build them on. And you basically, you typically combine a set of things together. You know, you take event hubs and you take some backend services, you take some websites and put them all together. And Service Fabric helps you sort of stitch those all together. And it does that by helping you write your own services uh, in two out-of-the-box program models that we provide. Uh, the One of the most interesting ones is one that we call Actors. Um, and an Actor program model is kind of a very 1970s thing. You know, it's, it's, it's been around for a while. Yeah, sure. Uh, and... Uh, what actors are is that you can think of this, um, if you want to just, uh, it's just like a, a .NET object. Yes, you know, think of me as a piece of code that I want you to run, and I want you to make it highly available for me, and if I want the state available, managed with it as well. And I want maybe a 1,000 of them, I maybe want 10,000, or create a 10 million of them. And so an actor can be any piece of code you want. It could be a person. It could be a car. It's very popular at the moment with you know, Internet of Things type devices. Sure, because you can map them one to per per device or one per user or whatever. Correct. Sure. Yeah. So the beauty is, you go up and you define your actor. So you might say, well, okay, I want my uh, I want my car actor, and it has you know some methods on it like drive and some state and things like that. And service fabric, I just want you to create uh, create me a hundred thousand of these things, and they all have a unique ID. Um, I don't worry about. 
where they're deployed or how they're running and things like that. For me, it's just a piece of code that I know that will scale. And so typically we've seen people build systems where they may have some telemetry data that comes in from, say, devices, or it might be, you know, some business logic they have. And then they they pull up this state for one of these actors, you know, uh, person actor Mark Fussell. Um, it has all this data associated with it all. Uh, you update the state and then you save it back and Service Fabric just takes care of where this thing gets run somewhere on those set of VMs for you. Um, and it's resilient, replicated, and available for you. So that's a very popular one that we have that's getting a lot of traction at the moment just because it very naturally fits in with sort of devices and and scale and things like this. Um, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't help you build sort of these sort of a workflow or business transaction type applications. Um, you know, Service Fabric was built very much as a, a platform to enable consistency and scale out. So you can build uh, tier one mission critical apps on it. You know, like, you know, we build SQL Azure databases on it and DocDB and Intune and Skype and Event Hubs and Cortana, all these things, you know, they can never go down. Mm -hmm. So so you can drop down to just a lower a level that's just below the active program model. And we have this program model called Reliable uh, collections and it's it's very neat because it's like this you know if you're familiar with .NET collections you know dictionary and queue and things like that uh, reliable collections is just an extension of that so you know when .NET 1.0 came out we had the dictionary type um, we kind of introduced a few years ago this sort of concurrent dictionary as well which is sort of all a multi-threaded single box version well service fabric just introduces this program model called a reliable dictionary and just think of it, it's just like your dictionary API. It's got no different. You know, it's got add and get and clear and all that sort of stuff. But when you save into the dictionary, um, what it does is it replicates the content of the dictionary to other machines. So it makes it a highly available replicated dictionary for you. So you have this neatness of a, a still a single box programme experience, just like a .NET API, saving it into a dictionary or a queue. But it's replicated. And importantly, it's transactional. So you can put in, you know, 10 values into this dictionary um, and do a transaction across them all and replicate all of that state and make it reliable and you know, make sure it's consistent. So that's another popular one where effectively, you know, you can create your service that consists of a dictionary of say some person information. It's a bit like a table, um, you know, some other statistics information. And that way, you know, write your code and deploy it and say, um, run this as a service for me, but I know that all that data and state and um, and code is taken care of for me in terms of its reliability, consistency, and and scale. Does that make sense? Can we get back to the cost thing for a minute? Because I, I really want you to address this. I know there's people out there listening and who say, you know, um, what are the costs going to be for for this kind of thing to really scale up? Um, you know, I can have an Erlang box running in a Docker container that yes. that can handle two million connections and. Uh, that you know, we do we doesn't even need to scale beyond one box, and now you have this whole uh, service fabric that I'm sure spans a lot of resources and can rack up some money pretty quickly. So, uh, can well, you address that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the beauty of service fabric is it actually is a very small runtime, and you just put it onto a set of machines you want. So, you think about your scale requirements. Yeah, if your scale requirements are that you know, I'm fine with. You know, I've developed my app and it'll only never go beyond, you know, a thousand users, um, throw it all on one machine. I'm good. Yeah. There's no problem with that. Well, two uh, million is the number that I'm using or two million. Yeah. That's fine. But I mean, what it, it comes down to two things. It comes down to, 
Uh, one is that there's a how, when you build your application, you want to first you typically want to decompose this down into different pieces so that uh, the, the, a key element of Service Fabric is this fact that you decompose it into different pieces of microservices that we call that you can deploy independently. Um, but I mean, once you've written your application, yeah, you can just run it on on three machines and scale up as you want. So, yeah, in terms of in terms of resource usage, Service Fabric as a as a as a platform itself is going to be given away free. So you're not going to pay any more for when you just get a set of machines that you deploy it to. So you'll go up to Azure and you'll say, look, give me three machines or five machines, deploy Service Fabric on it. It's no more than the cost of running a VM. Yes, and you, you could choose whatever size you want. You can choose, you know, the smallest size VMs if you want. If your application doesn't use very much, you just use your, just choose a couple of A4s and you're done. You know, but if your application wants to use more memory or use more scale, you can you can mix and throw some other machines inside there as well. Sure. So, you know, you, you can have a pool of resources. Some that are A3s, some that are D4s. Pool it all together. The beauty is that you can just write your application. And Service Fabric will just look at the resources you have. If you're not using very much, if it's just a small set of VMs, then because your application scaled down, you know that's that's all you need to have. So you don't have to use lots of VMs. You can just use. But there's small- no reason to charge for Service Fabric. It's going to encourage you to use more Azure anyway. You know, if you need it. Yes. Exactly. Do you set you parameters about how many instances it's allowed to light and so forth? I mean, in theory, Fabric it could cause you to spend more money. Well, I don't think it should cause you to spend more money because you just choose how much you want to run. Yes. Right. So when I when I write my service, my piece of code, uh, I deploy it and say, here's a set an example. Say I write a service and I go, well, when I, I just want to deploy 100 instances of this and, you know, this is my c- code that's running and it will run happily on, I figured out, it will happily run on, say, five VMs and it will happily run on five sort of, you know, D1 VMs. And that's all I have to do, you know. And at that point, you know, that's the capacity of my my service. I can I can even take away a couple of VMs if I wanted to and go down to three if I feel as not using them all. And Service Fabric will just redistribute those hundred services across three VMs. Or if you add two more, it'll distribute it across five VMs. Just throw another machine in there. We don't care. It yeah, yeah. It. yeah. That so, makes, that makes yeah, a lot of sense. You can scale it down and scale it up however you want. But, you know, you just have to be conscious of how much is you're using for your overall set of instances you're running. Yeah, for sure. But I guess the big thing for me is just, will it provision additional instances for me if I, if, if it feels it needs them? You know, we set the parameters of elasticity up. So, you know, when will it start more? Oh, I see. Yes. Yes. So when will it start more? Well, you know, yes, you can set measurements on yourself in terms of the capacity of each one of those services. Um, right. in fact, it's the service fabric provides you this reporting of, Oh, this instance is using this much. This is using this much. And it gives you sort of this view of the overall usage of each one of your instances. And if you go, oh, look, I did a thousand. Hmm, sound, seems like I need a hundred. Or say I did a hundred, yes, and I need right. a, yeah, 50 more. So it's like, okay, give me 50 more. Now, that bit's not automated yet, but that's, but it's easily automatable based upon a set of parameters and just say, you know, add some more instances to it or scale it all down. Yes, that's, that's part of the, the premise of all of this is that you just write code. You let the system take care of all of this for you um, in terms of the scaling up, scaling down, and provisioning. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's this is wildly cool. Yeah. And I really exactly. like that it. it's, it's stuff you guys are using. You're just giving us access to it as well. 
Well, like, exactly. So the history of the project, you know, just carrying on where I was, you know, we started with the SQL Azure. Five years ago, we realized we needed a platform to build our own services on better across Azure and the rest of the company. Because what was happening inside Microsoft was everyone was trying to build their own services platform and everyone was duplicating it all and everyone was sort of getting it wrong. So Yeah, there's a there's a set of plumbing you need. Exactly, mm-hmm. yes. So Service Fabric was that plumbing that we put together to say, look, stop everyone trying to build it in different ways. And when you start to build a service, whatever that service is, in, in many ways, think of app services, that platform that Scott Hunter talked about is built on top of this, yes? Yep. In terms of how it provides a service. And so Service Fabric provides this plumbing. But, and so you're at a lower level, but you have the customization that you want to have. But you're not at the VM level where you're just in you're just in crazy land. Yeah. Yes. Right. Sure. Um, so you sit in this, uh, and so you know if you want if you want high productivity, yeah, go and use app services. That's the best place to go. If you want pain and suffering and torture, go and use VMs. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But um, you know, but it's, there's a value to VMs. It's better than owning the hardware, but only just. Well, you know, so the beauty of service the, fabric, the beauty of service fabric is actually it is your VMs. So you right. take your VMs and we just put this runtime on it to do all this management for you Neat. and scale and things like that. But you can still go into your VM and run anything else on it you want. And there's also a a, a story for um, a sort of a hybrid Azure and on premise with service fabric as well, right? Sure. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest pain points that happened with Azure was that cloud services was this sort of bit of this lock-in model you know you wrote your application you run it on cloud services it'll only run on azure and then you're kind of you're you're fixed there yeah um service fabric um it's going to be made so um available we're we're so keen to make it available to everyone that we're actually putting service fabric in the next version of windows server windows server 2016 wow we're also going to offer it down level on windows server 2012 r2 and so your application so what happens is you set up a, a set of machines a cluster on premise or you can set up an Azure. Your code that you write against the active programming model or this reliable services programming model is no difference, and you can deploy it either on-premise or in the cloud, or you can have this mixed cluster of the two. So if I'm running it on-premise, this is, I mean, there's a lot, you know, under the scenes of this fabric, there's still all these mechanisms that actually light up VMs and so forth. Like, what am I going to have to do to, to have that elastic effect or the, or this, the, the clustering effect on my own hardware? Well, I mean, what, what happens on premise is that, uh, you know, there's two ways to look at this. First is that, you know, what, what happens is that you can deploy this. First, you could just deploy service fabric on raw machines if you want. Right. Yeah, just there on raw machines. Or, you know, the direction that's actually gone is Microsoft announced this product called the Azure Stack. And the mm. Azure Stack takes advice, you know, think of Azure Stack as the Azure equivalent on premise as a product you can buy where it'll take care of the provisioning of VMs and the management of all those VMs for you through hypervisor on premise. Right. Gives you all that capability. Well, then all that happens is your service fabric just runs inside those VMs. And so you just say, well, rather than just having it on raw machines, just give me service fabric running inside those VMs. And the pl- service fabric as a platform takes care of the fact that, you know, if you need another VM with service fabric deployed, it'll spin one up. And if you want to take one off, it'll spin one down. And so the Azure stack is the equivalent of effectively having that fabric controller that we talked about originally, sort of on-premise managing the VMs for you, in which you can run anything that you want. But if you put service fabric in there, it gives you this 
Paz abstraction of how you manage the applications you built. Right. You did say there was Visual Studio integration too, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So I mean, with the release, I mean, today, just so I'm clear with, you know, with everyone, what's happened is that we announced Service Fabric at Build uh, yeah, this year. Uh, we actually launched a developer SDK so that you can take a, a Service Fabric, download it onto your box, has a Visual Studio plugin. You can do new project, you know, cloud Service Fabric, build it against those two program models I talked about. Um, and, and, and run it on your machine. And, and the beauty is that what you run on your machine is exactly the same code that runs inside our data centers. There's no Azure emulator pretending to be Azure, something different. So it's basically um, the Azure version of Windows. And there's no restrictions. We can use Docker all day long. Correct. Well, you can use containerization technology containers. to run it in. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah w- Windows is having containers built into this. So, so today, Service Fabric is a, is a Windows technology. We're yeah, port- yeah, we're port- I, yeah, I meant containers, yeah. sure. Yeah, and we're, we're moving uh, Service Fabric over to Linux. We're doing that port. So, yep. you know, sometime we'll have it running there as well. Um, but yeah, there's a great developer toolkit that you have today. And in a few months' time, we're going to be launching the service so that you can actually take your application and run it and deploy it into your subscription and your set of machines inside Azure. Wow. So uh, that's where we're going with all of this. And, uh, you know, it's pretty exciting in terms of, I mean, the, the interesting thing is, is is that the company as well, you know, in terms of all our Azure services has taken a big bet on this. You know, we have Azure databases running on this, DocDB, Event Hubs, uh, Intune, Cortana, you know, most of our internal Azure services now that we have are building on this. And so, uh, you know, and when you run it on a local box environment, you know, um, it's like having a mini data center on your machine. Mm. You know, you have, yeah. you have, you have five node clusters. You can test it all on. It runs all there. You can set up your machines inside Azure and deploy it there, or you can have a couple of physical machines in there and deploy it there. And it's this, it's this ability to write an application and move it between these different environments. Um, and, and yet have all these characteristics of not having to care about the, you know, I just care about my app and not having to the manage the infrastructure. Right. So, you know, it's, it's pretty, we, we, Microsoft itself has taken a big bet to make sure that this is the direction that we're using to build our own services. Fantastic. And what about a hybrid mode? Could I be using some on-prem instances and also branch into Azure itself if I needed it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can, yes. I mean, we, we, we haven't yet that set that all up so you can do that easily. Right. But, uh, but if you, if you just have network connectivity, uh, between Azure and on-premise, you can do that. Yes. So, Mark, for our listeners, who's the person right now that needs to sit down and learn Azure Fabric? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, the way I think about this is that, you know, it's a, it's a platform that sits below app services where if you're really trying to build a productivity application and you're trying to get an enterprise mobile website application, you think about app services – but if you're trying to think about how you build, you know, a service that has reached, and really what we think about here initially is sort of, uh, ISVs and people who are trying to bring all the service offering on something that they already have running on premise. Seriously scalable. Yeah. Seriously scalable, mission critical type things. Now it doesn't have to have your massive scale. It can start off small, but that's the focus that we have. And, you know, as a result, it's very customizable. So you can. Build, you know, you, you typically thinking about I've got some product already, or I want to build a service, and I know there's a lot of complexity of running it at scale. Um, that all the difficulties of managing it all, I've got to pick something. Um, there's a lot of 
interest nowadays in terms of technologies and open source technologies that are running on Linux. Things like Docker and Mesosphere and Zookeeper and these things mm-hmm. allow you to b- build these platforms yourself. Um, and so, you know, that's really where we're looking at. We're looking at, you know, ISV type um, customers or uh, and slightly more advanced developers who are trying to build offer a service that runs um, to reach, you know, and the reason why they want to build a service is they want, you know, broader reach because they can now release their service in Brazil and all different parts around the world. Plus, of course, you know, they don't have to ship a CD to all their customers. You know, they can offer it as a service. Mm-hmm. So that's the way to think about it all. Um, and it's particularly customizable, but at the same time, you know, not the, the pain level we talked about with VMs. So, for example, um, you know, if I want to use those runtimes that we talked about, the service fabric provides, I can do that. But if I want to build Node.js as an application or ASP.NET and deploy a website into it, yeah, you can. Service Fabric will deploy it, upgrade it, manage it, and it'll take care of all of that. So, you know, that's the way to think about it. I get it. And, you know, to, to just come back to my other question about costs, it really doesn't add anything to the cost. I mean, compute is compute, right? Correct, yes. Yeah. You, you just pay for the machines and network you use. And so you're basically getting all these great management services for free. Yeah, exactly. I mean... Mm. Sure, take on that problem yourself, but you know you're, you know most people don't want to fight with building a platform to manage all of their infrastructure. Yep. They want to build their application logic themselves, um, and you know focus on that's the problem, uh, and and that's why effectively you know we have a platform that we built internally exactly for that. And you know we're thrilled to be able to say we're making this generally available for everyone now. Yeah, no, it's well, awesome, Mark. That's pretty fussle and awesome. <laughs> Jeez. seriously i'm very impressed yeah and thanks for thanks for sharing this with us in the last hour and, and clarifying all these uh things i know it can be difficult for people to grok but hopefully we've uh simplified it yeah well i'd love to kind of come back you know maybe in a few months time when we actually have the service running in azure you know today there's just this sdk i want to say to people download the sdk you can go to aka.ms slash service fabric mm-hmm. download it Play with the bits, think about some of the program models. Later this year, we'll have the service available. And at that point, you'll be able to go up to Azure and say, you know, provision a set of machines to, to deploy your application to. And at that point, we can kind of walk through what the portal experience looks like and, and how you actually sort of scale these things out. I can't wait. Thanks awesome. again, Mark. Okay, great. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a